0: Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Philippians chapter too, and you may say, well, that doesn't sound like a Christmas text, but I want you to understand this morning that it absolutely is. Now, by this time in the Christmas season, we're fully into hearing all of our favorite Christmas songs played on the uh, radio like 24-7, right? I don't know if you're like me, but my family keeps it on Way FM or Christian Family Radio 24-7 this time of year. And uh, some of you freaks, though, you've been listening to Christmas music since like October, okay? Some of y'all are that person, and it's all good. I love it, all right? But one of the standard Christmas songs that you've probably heard a 100 times so far this year is that classic song, The 12 Days of Christmas. Y'all remember that one, don't you? Right? Where true love shines showers his lady with a ton of gifts, 12 drummers drumming, 11 pipers piping, 10 lords a-leaping, 9 ladies dancing, 8 maids a-milking, 7 swans a-swimming, 6 geese a-laying. Now I need you guys to help me with the fifth one, right? Let's sing this one together. You ready? Five golden rings. Ready? One, two, three. 5 golden rings. <laughs> 4 calling birds, 3 french hens, 2 turtle doves. And a partridge in a pear tree. Now, if uh, just assuming that all of those gifts over those twelve days of Christmas that they're not repeatedly given each day, that's seventy-eight total gifts. And the PNC Christmas Price Index—they have some fun every year with that song—and they estimate the cost of those gifts in today's money. And that answer to that would be somewhere in the neighborhood of around forty thousand dollars. I mean, true love. Must have really loved her. and <laughs> True love must have been a billionaire or something like that to drop that kind of dough over 12 days. Because that is a rather costly Christmas. Now this morning we're beginning a new series called The Weary World Rejoices. And we're going to look at four things over the course of this Christmas season. Between Sunday mornings and, and special services. of uh, The, the uh, four different things that, we, that the weary world rejoices at. All right, and in. And today we're going to see that the weary world rejoices in the cost of Christmas, all right? Because as we shift our focus onto the true meaning of Christmas, the true gift of Christmas, we see that this event that we celebrate every year at Christmas was itself very costly. Now, not financially costly, but it was nevertheless costly, right? Jesus Christ. Paid a heavy price. And so, as we consider that this morning, it's reason, plenty of reason, ample reason for this weary world to rejoice. So, here's today's takeaway. Here's the truth that I hope that you'll leave here with. Here's the, the response that I pray will well up in your heart. And it's this Rejoice in the heavy price Jesus paid to bring salvation to the world. Rejoice in the heavy price Jesus paid to bring salvation to the world. And the book of Philippians here helps us to understand that cost. He helps us to count the cost. The Apostle Paul, of course, speaking and writing and teaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is the word of God to us through the Apostle Paul. So I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the word of God this morning. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to begin in the fifth verse. God's word tells us that about uh, this, about the cost of Christmas. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thus ends the reading of the Word of God this morning. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we need your help today, God. We, obviously, we've read the text But God, we don't want to just read it. We want to be readers and hearers only, God. We want to respond appropriately to what we've heard, what you've said to us today. So, Father, we pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would open our eyes to understand and then to apply this text to our lives. We thank you for the heavy price, the heavy cost that Jesus paid, that salvation may be ours. And I pray that every person under the sound of my voice today would know Christ as Savior and Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen and amen. So go ahead and grab your seat there. So to understand the cost of Christmas here in our text, we first see that Jesus left heaven to take on flesh in a manger. You say, I didn't see the word manger in there. Well, that's what it's talking about there. It's talking about that when he left heaven to take on flesh there in that manger because our text points us to the pre-existence of Jesus. In other words, Jesus didn't come into existence when he was miraculously conceived in Mary's womb. He's always been. He's the eternal God, the Son. The text here says that he was in the form of God. Now that may be a little bit confusing to us because when we hear that someone's in the form of something, it's almost like, well, they're kind of pretending to be something. They're kind of acting like they're something and, and, and not really that thing. But that's not what the word form means in the Greek. The word here that translates the word form is the Greek word morphe, which points to the thing's essential nature, its truest character. And so what that means, y'all, is that Jesus' essential nature was God. His truest existence, his truest character was and is God. Now, this is explicitly taught to us in John chapter 1, right? In the Gospel of John. John one one says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So let's insert Jesus into that just to be more straightforward, all right? Read it more straightforwardly, because when John uses the Word, the Word there, he's talking about Jesus, the God the Son. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. You see, Eastwood, that's who Jesus was before he was the child in the manger. He was very God, fully God. But here's the amazing thing. He didn't let that stop him from coming down to this earth to fulfill the mission that God had given us. Right? That didn't stop him from taking on flesh. And dwelling amongst us. right? He didn't consider his essential equality with God the Father a thing to be grasped. In other words, a thing to be clutched, to not be given up. Keeping him from the mission on this earth. Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says it this way. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that You, by his poverty, might become rich. Beloved, what that means is, is that Jesus was rich. He had everything that he needed, but he became poor so that you and I, who are poor, can become rich. Isn't that amazing? That's an amazing act of God. And our text here in Philippians says, in order to do that, that Jesus emptied himself. Now, that doesn't mean that he gave up his deity. It means that he gave up his status, right? It means that he gave up his privilege. Sort of like, you guys ever watch the, the, the show Undercover Boss? How many of you guys ever seen that one? Undercover Boss? I mean, it's, it's really an interesting concept. The premise of the show is to take a different CEO every week of some major company and for them to leave all of the privileges of being the boss and go down, to work as a common laborer in the company. Again, I mean, that, that's, that's an amazing, intriguing concept. But the truth of the matter is the boss doesn't cease being the boss. He or she, he or she just uh, temporarily gives up the status and the privilege of being the boss. And so Jesus' condescension, that's the theological language that we would use for this passage here in Philippians chapter 2, the condescension of Christ, the coming down of Christ. His condescension is very similar here. He didn't cease being God, but in coming to this earth, he paid a heavy price by giving up his status and his divine privilege. Just imagine for a moment. The creator of the universe, Because that's what the Bible tells us, that Jesus, that God the Father created the universe through Jesus, God the Son. Imagine the creator of the universe adding to his being creation. The creator adding to his being creation. He took on created flesh. He added humanity to his deity. He didn't replace his deity with humanity. He added humanity to his divinity, to his deity. Uh, Imagine the king of the earth being born in a stable and laid in a manger. Imagine the master of the universe taking on the essence of a servant and a slave. Imagine God in the flesh later Being ridiculed. Holy God being ridiculed and accused of wickedness and being spat upon and being crucified, guys. I mean, all of this, a very heavy price. Christmas is very costly for Christ. But he didn't pay a great price simply by leaving heaven to take on flesh in a manger. We also see in our text here in Philippians chapter 2 that it went further than that. Second, we see that Jesus traded that manger in eventually for a cross. Right When you think of the two symbols of Jesus' life, you think of the manger and you think of the cross. So he left heaven and came down and took on flesh and was laid in a manger, and then he walked this earth and eventually traded that manger in for I I know here at Christmas, we, we place so much emphasis on that manger. And rightly so. We focus in on the birth of Jesus, but we can't think about Christmas without ultimately thinking about the cross. Did you guys see in the news here recently, it's been in this past weekend, about, and I forget which city it's in, but there's this Christian couple who's decorating their yard for Christmas, and they put up a cross. And with some lights on it and all that stuff and their HOA, don't you love HOAs? I'm so glad that I live out in the country where there is no HOA to tell me anything, okay? The HOA says, no, 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 that's Easter decoration. You got to take down that cross because that has nothing to do with Christmas. And they said, sorry, we're leaving the cross up because you need to understand that the Christmas Christ leads to the cross of Christ, Amen. And you have to understand that as you think about the cost that Jesus paid for you and me because he didn't come to live in a manger. He didn't just come to live in a manger. He came to die on a cross. Which, as you well know, that's an incredibly costly experience. It is the height of costliness. Paul captures with amazement here in chapter 2, verse 8, our text. Verse 8 here, Philippians 2, 8. And being found in human form, Again, that word form, he was truly human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's a way of saying it basically like this. It's a really high cost to die, but it's an unbelievably high cost to die on a cross. That was such an ugly, degrading, shameful, excruciating way to die. Yet Jesus didn't let that stop him. He humbled himself, the Bible says here, by obediently dying on a cross. Now, I mean, listen, (laughs) sleeping in a manger for a little while when you're a baby, I mean, that's one thing. Because babies have slept in some weird places all throughout the ages, right? You guys ever hear stories of people who said that they slept in like a dresser drawer growing up, right? I, I mean, Shannon, Yule probably did that growing up or something like that, right? I mean, I just, you know, he's always got these great stories. If he didn't, I bet he knows somebody that did, right? But we've heard stories about that where kids would sleep in dresser drawers or wherever else. I mean, kids have slept all kinds of weird places, strange places. People even reminisce about it, like, man, it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, that dresser drawer is an awesome bed, you know, things like that. But we trade those drawer beds in for real beds, don't we? We move up in the world. The dresser drawer bed and our other humble beginnings, they don't determine our future. But Jesus traded the manger in for a cross. In his condescension to the manger, he condescended forever. Further to the cross, we typically move on up, but Jesus moved further down. He basically went from heaven, before the manger, to hell, on that cross. You see, while on the cross, while it's painful and while it's shameful, the mental anguish, the uh, the physical anguish, it didn't compare and doesn't compare to the spiritual anguish that Jesus experienced there. On that cross, do you remember that? Where he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, the wrath of God for our sin, not his sin, our sin. Every person who believed on him was put on him. The wrath of God was poured out on that sin. And in that moment, he bore the weight and the penalty. And was smitten and forsaken by the Father. Man, you talk about a high cost. Jesus left heaven to take on flesh in the manger and then traded in that manger for a cross, an incredibly high price to pay. But some of you are thinking this morning, like, I thought you said we we're supposed to rejoice in this. Man, this, this sounds like a tragedy. <laughs> I mean, this is a story where like, it just keeps going down and down and down. My wife and I watched this movie several years ago. Um... It was a Will Smith movie. And man, it was the saddest movie you have ever seen. And we were just weeping. like, man, this is the worst movie we've ever seen. It's, just, it's heartbreaking. It's good, but it's heartbreaking. And it does sound like a tragedy unless you understand the rest of Philippians 2. Right? I don't think I want to rejoice. I want to cry. What's there to rejoice about? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, our passage doesn't end in verse 8. It goes through verse 11. Look at 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, what that means is that the manger of the cross is not a tragedy, but a tragedy redemption story, a victory story, an overcoming story. Yeah, it's a, great, it's a great price to pay, but through that great sacrifice, a great multitude of people, all who will confess the name of Jesus will confess that Jesus is Lord, will be saved, right? Jesus paid that great price so that you and I, we don't have to. Because when we come to rejoice here at Christmas, we realize that salvation is not free. It's not free. It's just free to us because Jesus paid it all. And so the gospel invitation from the prophet Isaiah goes forth to us today. Isaiah fifty-five one, come, every one who thirsts, come. The waters and he who has no money come buy and eat come buy wine and, and milk without money and without price. What this pre gospel, in some sense, is saying to us here in Isaiah 55 is it's already been paid for, it's free to you. Everything that your soul needs has been paid for by Jesus and has provided to you as a gift. And some of you this morning, you need to receive that gift. Some of you have come into the room this morning, you've never confessed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You never have. You have never bowed the knee, as it says here in our text. You've never confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, you've never turned from sin and trusted in the work of Jesus. You've never received the gift that he has so graciously and generously and at great personal cost is offering to you today. And today, man, I pray it's the day you reject no more. Today is the day I pray that you'll turn from sin and you'll trust in Jesus. Today, I pray, is the day of salvation for you. So here's my final prayer as the praise team comes back up. May you freely receive the gift paid in full for you by Jesus. And for those of you who already have May you rejoice with all your might. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus name. And now for that really important question which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now based on what you've done, The straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.